Thank you again so much for leading us in that. You guys make it so easy <laughs> for us to do that. Good morning. So I went to Zumba last night, and at one point, uh, the highly energetic Zumba leader called all willing parents and grandparents up on stage, and I found myself up on stage. Um, I learned later that someone um, took a video, so what I want to know is if any of you are adept at um, destroying evidence, come talk to me later this morning. I thought we'd start off this morning by talking about Venn diagrams. You know what Venn diagrams are? It's where there's two circles, sometimes more, but we'll keep it simple. There's two circles and they each represent something. And then in the space where the two circles overlap, it represents the thing that they both have in common. So just to give you an example, here's one. Uh, one circle representing stuff that's on the test and the other representing stuff that I remember. So when we think about the middle, it's something that was both on the test and what I remember. And for many of us growing up, that middle section simply included my name. See, <laughs> see how that works? All right, so let's do another one. Uh, so say you have two circles. One is a beaver playing a guitar, as they do, and the other is a duck playing a keyboard. So you think of a beaver and a duck kind of mashed together and a keyboard and guitar mashed together. Obviously, the middle would be a platypus playing keytar. All right, you see how, see how this works? Now, sometimes you don't get Venn diagrams unless you have some pre-existing knowledge. So this next one is based on a Simon and Garfunkel song. So just so that we're all on the same page, we're going to play a short clip of it so that we all can fully appreciate this next Venn diagram. So let's go ahead and play that. All right, so we've got two circles. People who are breaking my heart and people who are shaking my confidence daily. What do they have in common? Cecilia, yes, you get it. Okay, good. Now, I've got one more, one more that actually has to do with what we're talking about this morning. Uh, two circles, one is being wronged and one is Fergie's national anthem. I want you to think about those two realities being wronged and Fergie's national anthem. And what they both have in common is they are both things that are hard to forgive. <laughs> and just to remind you of what it felt like when we all watched this happen, let's just play a little. welcome. <laughs> we know what it is for something in our real life, though, to be hard to forgive because we're all offended at some point, right? I mean, we can be truly wronged by someone that we love, someone that's close to us. Maybe they, they treat us poorly 
They talk behind our back. Um, we can even be offended by someone we don't know. We can read something that they read or see something on the news that someone we don't even know did, and we can be offended. There's a whole gamut. We can be offended by our best friend. We can be offended by someone at the gas station. I mean, honestly, there's very little criteria in our lives where we, uh, it's easy to allow people to offend us. It's easy to find something that needs to be forgiven. I want to show you how easy this is. I've told you that I've done improv, but I believe that you can do it too. We're going to just brainstorm here for a second. So what I want you to do is in a moment, I'm going to have this side of the room shout out a, a person in your life, like the dentist or whatever. Don't yell a name. Don't be like Steve. Like that's not... We don't know, Steve. That's not going to help us. So you guys are going to shout out um, a person in your life, your neighbor, whatever. And then over here, we're going to brainstorm and shout out how that person might offend us. Okay? It's going to be so easy. It's so easy. All right. Here we go. So what is a person in your life? Sister. Your sister. Okay. So your sister, how might your sister do something that you have to forgive? Shout something out. She wore my dress. How dare she? She wore my dress and take it up a notch. She looked better in it than we did, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, now you guys over here, let's shout something out. A person, a relationship, somebody, your doctor, whatever. Your neighbor. Okay, your neighbor. How might your neighbor offend you or do something that makes you have to forgive them? You guys shout it out. I heard tramp the bagels. I'm pretty sure that's not what was yelled, but what was it over here? Ruin your bagels? There were no bagels. A callback to last night, to yesterday. No bagels. Okay, yeah, you and your neighbor, you get together for bagels. It was her turn. So rude. She forgot. Okay. All right, we don't want to leave you guys out, but I don't know if I can hear you back there. So just somebody really loud. What is another relationship, somebody in your life you might know? Way in the back. Your boss, your boss, there is rich, rich content here. How, however, might your boss do something that you have to forgive? You guys here in the house. A, re a bad review? A pink slip. Wow, we're getting real here. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lots of things, lots of things. So as you can see, it is easy. Offense is everywhere we go. Every corner we turn, there is immediate opportunity, whether it's someone we know or don't know, for us to feel wronged, to feel taken advantage of, to feel overlooked or offended in some way. And here's the truth. That's not going to stop happening. The only thing we have control over is how we respond. And as it all comes down to it, there's really only two ways to respond. You can either forgive it or not forgive it. Now, you're here this morning and you're at Mount Hermon Family Camp, so you know that I'm going to spend the rest of my time convincing you that to forgive would be the right choice. And I am. You're not wrong about that. But really, the only thing that will take you to a place of being ready and willing to choose forgiveness is when you recognize, honestly, in your life the way that unforgiveness is hurting you. When you look at the relationships and the situations where you're not forgiving, where we're not forgiving, and we see the effects that it's having, that is the kind of catalyst that helps us be ready to forgive. Statistically, two-thirds of us would say 
that we need more forgiveness in our life. That means that if you look at the person next to you and the other person next to you, and there's three of you, that two of you are seeing the effects of unforgiveness, that you want change, and it means the third one of you is probably just in denial. Because <laughs> if you're honest, I think if we're honest, we know what holding a grudge can do, right? I mean, in the very least, it hurts that relationship with the person when you hold a grudge. But don't you find that it also hurts other relationships? Like when you get hurt by someone, something happens where we protect ourselves a little bit. A little bit of a, a wall comes up. And in some way, it makes it harder for us to have a close relationship, to be authentic with other people in our life. And they're not even the one that hurt us. Probably a lot of you have heard about how unforgiveness can physically affect you. Did you know that? It can physically affect you. When you are holding a grudge, when you are unwilling to forgive, your body does not heal as well, like physically your body does not heal as well. Isn't that weird? And I think that's why we find in the Bible a lot of passages that talk about this idea of forgiveness. Mike talked about one of them last night. This morning, we're going to primarily be in Ephesians 4. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 4, that's going to be our main verse that we're going to tackle today. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, and as you've seen, we'll have all the other passages up on the screens. But if you want to have one in front of you, Ephesians 4 is the one to have. And this is what it says in verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it says it right there, we're going to get rid of bitterness so that we can forgive each other. I want you to imagine when somebody offends you or hurts you or wrongs you in some way, something that causes you to need to be forgiving. I want you to imagine that as somebody taking a little seed and just tossing it into some soil. Can you imagine that? Imagine every time that you're offended, somebody is taking a little seed and they're just tossing it into the soil. And you can't stop it from happening. Your spouse does the very thing that you have told them again and again you don't want them to do. Boom. Seed tossed, right? Somebody makes an offhanded comment that you take as a dig on you. It feels like just a little boop, seed tossed in the soil. You go on Facebook and you see your friends all at a party that you did not get invited to. Seed, seed, seed. It's all thrown in there into this soil. And what happens next, like any real seed, is that offense in that soil, it will start to grow. It will try to grow. And whether or not it can take root in that soil has everything to do with what is in the soil. And in particular, if there is this one key ingredient that it needs, it will grow. That seed of offense will grow. And we're going to talk about what that one ingredient is. But let's just assume first that it is there. Let's assume that ingredient is there in the soil. You know what's really going to grow up from that offense? Is unforgiveness. The fruit of unforgiveness. 
Now, forgiveness is a word that comes with a lot of baggage. It is a hefty word, and we all have our own personal baggage with it. And we know that we should forgive. We have read books. We have listened to sermons about how we should forgive. We have even gone so far as to tell other people that they should forgive, right? I won't have you raise your hands. We've all done it. And yet, it is so difficult. We have heard that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then expecting the other person to die. Have you heard that? We have heard all these things. And even with all of that, it is still so hard. It is so difficult, almost impossible sometimes, to choose forgiveness. And the reality is that it is hard to do. And sometimes that's because in our culture today, forgiveness is the exception. Do you find that to be true? Forgiveness is kind of the exception. Our whole culture is about holding a grudge, finding something that offended you and holding onto it. We say everything about like speak your truth, stand up, call people out, and then hold very tightly to that resentment. And I'm not saying don't speak up when you have been hurt, but what I'm saying is are we then going the next step to say, but how do I let it go? How do I not grip that resentment so tightly that it starts to permeate through all of my relationships. And trying to forgive sometimes with all of that coming at us is like, it's like pushing against a tidal wave. It is tough to do. Holding on to something, holding on to unforgiveness and resentment has become very palatable in our world and almost kind of expected And so we don't have very much that is pushing us toward forgiveness. And so just to kind of make sure that we're on the same page with this big, lots of baggage word like forgiveness, this is what I mean. When I say forgiveness in its simplest form, it means this, to give up the desire to punish or to give up the power to punish. When we're in a process of forgiveness, what it boils down to is our feelings about the other person being punished. Sometimes when we're wrong, um, when we've been wronged, we have the power to punish somebody. We can stop talking to them. We can break off the relationship. We have that in our power to punish. And punishment comes in all different shapes and sizes. And then in those instances, it means that forgiveness is giving up the power to punish because that power is in our hands. Now, in other situations, we don't have the power to bring on any punishment. We had that boss example. When your boss does something that you feel wronged, you feel offended, you don't really often have the power to bring any punishment on in that kind of a relationship, right? So in that instance, forgiveness might mean giving up the desire for them to be punished. So Whether we're in a situation where we're giving up, letting go of the desire for punishment or stepping aside our ability to be in power to punish them, our ability to come to that conclusion, to let go of one of those things, it has everything to do with the condition of the soil that that seed of offense has landed in. Our ability to walk in forgiveness is hindered when we have got this one thing in our soil because that seed of offense will go into the soil and it will take 
root. The thing I'm talking about is listed right in the first verse that we read, Ephesians 4, 31. We're going to put it up as a list so you can see it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, fighting, slander, along with every form of malice. Now, when I see that list, they all look pretty terrible. Like, I don't really want any of those to characterize my life. I'm guessing you probably don't either. But if I were to look at the one that I think might have the most to do with unforgiveness, you know what I think it is? I think it's that first one on the list, bitterness. Because here's the thing about bitterness. Bitterness is the sneaky one. Bitterness is the one that you can hide from other people. I mean, other people know if you have rage. They know if you are anger. They know if you are hateful. They know if you bring conflict, but they don't always know if you are bitter. Bitterness is a sneaky one. And I want to talk about it today because I think bitterness can hide in us in a way that the others can't. I think it's very hard sometimes for us to recognize it. I think We can get so used to it that it just feels normal. And honestly, that's really understandable because, like I said, there are so many things, so many seeds of offense that are coming our way. I mean, maybe we're just kind of let down by someone, maybe disappointed by them. Maybe we've been disappointed one too many times. And it just is something that we've gotten used to. So it makes sense that if it goes unchecked, some bitterness is going to grow in us. I love this poster. I think it says it the best about bitterness. We'll put it up. It's kind of small to read. But it says, bitterness, never be afraid to share your dreams with the world because there's nothing that the world loves more than the taste of really sweet dreams. Like bitterness will come in. This world will spit you out, chew you up, spit you out. Bitterness comes easy. And it's easy for us to get used to it. And it plays out in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways it comes out. Like take reviews, for example. Do you ever go on like TripAdvisor or something and look at the reviews at places? You cannot go to a hotel or a store or a restaurant without being able to see what everybody's opinion is about it, right? And do you ever find that sometimes you'll read about a hotel and this hotel has lots of reviews and they're mostly all fours and fives. Like this is probably a great place, but then you keep going and there's always a small handful of like ones. You notice that? Like there's no threes and fours. It's all good and then there's just a handful of ones that are really nitpicky like the guy at the front desk wasn't good with eye contact or, you know, something really benign. And you know who's writing those reviews? You know who it is? Bitter people. Bitter people are writing those reviews. And that's some of the ways that bitterness leaks out of us and it just feels normal. Maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews, he warns us and says this in Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And you get the sense in this verse that bitterness starts small, just that little tiny root growing in the soil. You don't even know it's there. And then it grows up and it causes all sorts of trouble. 
We already saw in our Ephesians verse some of the kinds of trouble that come when a seed takes root and becomes bitterness. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage. It becomes rage and anger and conflict and gossip along with every form of malice. Once the bitterness is in there, everything else follows. About a month ago, I got back from Uganda. I led a team of six of us who went to Kampala, where we got to partner with a church there who has a children's program for the children in the surrounding area, Saturday program. And they do a number of things, but the Saturday program is a creative arts therapy program. And these kids come from all around Kampala and the surrounding area who have, who have had trauma in their life. And they use different forms of art to help the kids grow in their expression and their confidence. And so we went there and we actually got to teach the staff how to use improv as a way to let the kids exercise their confidence and creativity and have that be part of their program. Well, to go to Uganda, I had never been before, um, you have to get some shots. And there were six of us on our team, as I said, and each of us had to get a different amount of shots depending on how up-to-date our immunizations were. Um, my daughter, my 16-year-old, was part of our team. She had to get two shots. Um, I had to get five. Now, this wasn't really a problem. I don't mind shots. I'm not afraid of needles. It wasn't really a big deal, I thought. And so I went, and I got all five shots, no problem. And then about 30 seconds after the last one, I suddenly started to feel very terrible. And I just sort of started sweating, and my heart was kind of racing, and I was feeling dizzy. And I just said to them, can I just go lay down? And they said, no, you can't lay down. I was in a chair because the place where you lay down, you'd have to stand up and go, and we don't want you to stand up. Why don't you just sit there? And I just remember kind of sinking down in the chair and leaning my head back on the wall, and I just kept saying, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel good. And it felt like about 20 minutes of me laying there just not feeling good. At one point, their voices were really muffled and they kept talking to me and asking me questions and I remember thinking like, why don't they shut up? Why do they keep talking to me? They gave me juice at one point. I found out later I had passed out. Now, um, I promise all my stories aren't about me passing out or almost <laughs> passing out, but what was crazy to me is I didn't even know that I had done it. It was about five minutes, and for about a minute of it, I was out, and during that time when I felt like they were really far away and they wouldn't stop talking to me, that was them trying to bring me back to life, basically, is what was happening there. They told, they, I told you they gave me this juice, and then just a few minutes later, the nurse asked if she could hold the juice. And I remember thinking, this, this nurse is so annoying. She just gave me a juice. Why is she taking it away? But I found out later that she, she did that because she knew I was going down. Because I had said something very, very important. And she shared this with us later. She said that uh, once I said to her, because I was sweating, I was feeling dizzy, all these things, that's all fine. 
Once I said to her that I was hearing ringing in my ears, she said, as soon as that happens, it's just a matter of time. The cascade begins, you're going to faint, it's just a matter of time. And so they just took my juice and got close to ca- like get ready to like catch my head as it fell over. But what was fascinating to me about that is there was this, this thing that happened, like when the ringing happens, then it is just a cascade. Like that's the tipping point, the, the proverbial and the, the actual tip your body over because you're passing out point is when your ears are ringing. And bitterness is that tipping point in forgiveness. Bitterness is the tipping point that makes forgiveness very difficult. It makes unforgiveness inevitable. It is that tipping point. Tipping point is the moment that there's enough critical mass that once something starts and it crosses over a threshold and you can't stop it. And once you get to a place in your life of unchecked, ignored bitterness growing up in you, that cascade is inevitable and it will lead to unforgiveness. And what our verse says is to get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. And you know what that verse mean, that word means, that Greek word, it means put it away. It means it takes some intentional awareness and action on our part to put it away. The Greek word there is this idea of, of raising up something from the ground or If they're fishing, it means to raise out the fish out of the water, to draw it out. And I kind of love that. I love that visual of bitterness being in our soil. And this verse, it says, put it away, raise it out, give it up, give it to the one who can handle it, put it away. And embedded also in those words the way that the language is used there, it very specifically means that it's not God doing it. It is us doing it. It is us taking the responsibility to make sure that the bitterness that we see residing in our soil is put away, that we pull it out of the soil. And that means we've got to pay attention to what's in the soil. We've got to do the work of lifting it away. Now, here's what I'll say. While it does take work on our part, it takes intentionality. This verse makes it clear that it is us who is doing the putting away. The reason, the way that we are empowered to do that is because Jesus put it away first. On the cross, what he was doing is putting away all of our sin, all of the consequences of our sin. In fact, Another place that that same word is used is in Colossians 2.14. It says this, speaking of Jesus, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, our debt, our sin debt, which is death, which stood against us and condemned us, he, Jesus, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That phrase right there, taken it away, same word, as take away your bitterness, put it away. Jesus took it away for us. And in doing that, he made us new. One of the things we've been talking about. In doing that, he empowered us to tend to the bitterness in our soil. 
Earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, that's the the chapter where we're at the bottom of it, when you go earlier to the top, Paul uses this language of new self and old self. He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. And life in Jesus is what makes that possible, where we take off the old, we put on the new, we dig out bitterness, we build in forgiveness. His putting away empowers our ability to put away. It empowers us to live in the new self that he has gifted us with. Back in April, I was here uh, as part of a writer's conference that Mount Hermon does. And this verse that's on the back here that says, underneath this, that says, I am making all things new, that was there. And I love that idea. I love that intentional work that we, sit, that we hear God saying, I'm doing it. I have done it. I have put it away. But during one of the sessions, I was sitting back there, and I was looking up here, and I, I read something different. And I think the center section might have the best view of what I read. What are the words that you can still see of the verse, I am making all things new? What does it say now? I am new. Say it again. I am new. Let's all say it. I am new. And that struck me because I felt like it was this little moment of a conversation with God where he said, I am making all things new. And I'm empowering you, Andrea, to say, to believe, to live in this truth that I am new, that I have been given everything I need to take off the old self, to live in the new self. And when it comes to attending to this bitterness, it means that we are equipped in the spirit to do what is needed to live into forgiveness. But when we don't do the work of taking care of the bitterness, then that seed takes root and it grows into all kinds of fruit. And that fruit makes forgiveness even more difficult. It grows up into anger and malice and rage, holding grudges, all those things. But if we just pay attention to the soil, then we can change that cycle. Through Jesus, we can have a different outcome. That seed still comes at us. We talked about that. The seed is still gonna come because remember, it is very easy in this world to be hurt, to be offended, to be wronged. But because we have done the work of paying attention to the soil, we have lifted away, we put away the bitterness, then that bitterness isn't there to feed the seed. And instead, what feeds that seed is forgiveness. When there is forgiveness in the soil, that seed still gets tossed your way, still lands in the soil, but it no longer results in rage and malice and more bitterness and slander. Instead, here are more the types of outcomes that come from a seed that grows in the soil of forgiveness. Listen to Colossians 3. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loved, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. That's what grows 
out of forgiveness. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. When that seed is grown in forgiveness, we are allowed to make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, all of these can be described as the outcome of love. Love is what can grow, even from something that started as a fence. This is what grows in the right kind of soil. And that's God calling right now to say, it's true. <laughs> Believe these words. When I was in elementary school, I did a book report on George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver was an agricultural scientist in the first half of the 20th century, and he, he was a, an expert and a, and a proponent, and he talked a lot about peanuts and how peanuts are a valuable and viable crop, and, that, and he went around everywhere talking about this and helping people grow more sustainable crops. He loved to cook, and one time he invited a bunch of people over for a big dinner, and they all loved the food. And then at the end of the meal, he told them that everything had been made of peanuts. And that was his way to, to let them in on like loving the peanut as much as he did. But can you imagine doing that today, like inviting a bunch of people over, and then at the end telling them it was full of nuts like that? I mean, you'd have to have like six EpiPens for your guests even to survive that. But but, uh, but he became known as the peanut man because he went before Congress and he talked about the value of this. He was so passionate about it. Another piece of that that he talked about was this idea of crop rotation, how you would take a portion of your field and you would give it a break from cotton or whatever you were growing, and instead you would put a crop of peanuts and it would reinvigorate the soil. And then you'd move them to the next portion and then when you brought cotton back into that place, it would be renewed it would be reinvigorated. And so for us, as we think about our soil, as we think about the seeds of offense that we cannot stop from getting thrown in our soil, what are we doing on a spiritual level to reinvigorate our soil so that bitterness does not take root? For the rest of our couple minutes, I want to give you four practices that you can do to tend to your soil to be paying attention intentionally as God has asked us to, to weed out, like pull the weeds in our soil. I want to give you four practices that you can rotate through your soil. And the first one is to look in the mirror. Often when we struggle to forgive, it is because we are so outwardly focused, right? This is how they hurt me. This is what they did. This is why they are a bad person. And to push against that, sometimes it's very helpful if we have some sort of a regular practice of looking inward, acknowledging our own failures, our own sin, the times when we have offended someone else. Some might call this confession. Some might call this taking a moral inventory. And it's simply identifying the ways that maybe we have been the offender, looking inward. I think when we do that, when we have that practice of knowing what our own shortcomings are, it makes it easier to have compassion because we know we've been that person. For every person that we're struggling to forgive, there's probably at least one other person who's struggling to forgive us, and we might not even know. So looking inward 
It makes it easier to let go of the desire or the power to punish like we talked about. So look in the mirror. The second one is to align upward. And this is about having a regular practice of worship because God is bigger than any of our bitterness. And worship is really anything that puts our attention on God and how great he is. Because when you can focus on his goodness and his majesty and all the things that Vaughn led us through, when you can focus on that, it changes your whole perspective on that resentment that you're holding on to. But it doesn't have to be singing. For me, singing corporately like this is a big part of how I align upward. But that's just me. You might have a different way, and I encourage you to find that way. Maybe for you, it's being out in nature and just looking up at these trees. You guys, I know a place you could go. It's really awesome. It's right there. Maybe for you, that's what it is. That's how you realign with God. Maybe it's taking a a journal or a piece of paper and writing things down, things that you're grateful for. Maybe it's just being mindful of where you see God's presence in your everyday life. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. But whatever it is, when you focus on the bigness, the goodness, the love of God, it dissipates that bitterness. Are you doing that regularly. If not, I encourage you while you are here for the next 24 hours, find time to carve out space for you to align upward. The third is to seek support. I know a lot of you are part of churches. I'm guessing that many or all of those churches have life groups, small groups, community groups, support groups, whatever it is. And to have an intentional group of people where you can be authentic, where you can talk about what are you learning, how are you growing, what are the places where you're struggling to let go of bitterness, that can be so helpful. Do you have one or two, or if you're really lucky, three people that you can be honest about what you're working on? For some of us who have really deep wounds, Seeking support means that you find a therapist or a counselor. Because like I said at the the beginning, forgiveness is hard work. Don't be down on yourself because you need someone to come alongside you to work through that. Forgiveness is so critical to how the rest of your relationships play out. All right, so we're going to look in the mirror. We're going to align upward. We're going to seek support. And the last one, the last practice to rotate through your soil is to pause your story. Pause your story. And here's what I mean. You have like an origin story of of something that's been done wrong to you. You have this origin story of a specific situation or a person that you've been unable to forgive. And hopefully today you've kind of put a new lens over that story and have understood how maybe some of your own bitterness has, has played into that. But what bitterness likes to do is rehash that origin story to anyone who will listen. The guy at the gas station, your friend at 7-Eleven, the pediatrician, definitely anyone in your book club. They will always listen to all your bitter stories. And it feels harmless. It feels like it's just sharing what I'm going through, what's happening. But really, every time we replay those events, or maybe more accurately, 
our perspective on those events. The bitterness gets a little deeper. The root grows in a little more full. One article I read about this, it puts it this way. Where energy, where attention goes, energy flows. Where you put your attention, energy will get manufactured there. Wherever it is, when you're ruminating on something, when you continue to talk about it, that thing will take up more space in your life. It will take up more mental energy, more relational energy, because you're putting attention to it. I read another article that talked about this same thing, and this is what it said. Telling the story of what happened to you, to those whose job it is to help you, or because you're trying to find new and positive ways to deal with your situation, that's one thing. But telling the story of what happened to you again and again in a negative way to everyone you meet is often a form of keeping yourself stuck in victimhood. So, what would happen if just for a couple of days or a week or longer, you take a break from telling that story? You pause your story because the less you feed bitterness, the quicker it'll die. As you think about these places in your life where you're maybe struggling to forgive, I want you to consider what, is, what are one or two of these practices that maybe you could rotate in to your life more regularly as you grow in getting stronger at being able to put it away, as you get more comfortable with putting on the new self and living into the life that Jesus died to give you. Because ultimately, that life is a life of freedom. Those of you that know what unforgiveness and bitterness does in your life, it has a lot to do with us not being free. Not being free to give fully in our relationships. Not being free to be emotionally and mentally available for what God might have for us. And so it matters for us to look hard at bitterness. To be intentional about taking care of the soil because you cannot stop the seeds from getting thrown, but you can change what happens when they get there. I wanna close with this quote from Nelson Mandela. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. So my challenge to us is to live in that freedom, to do the work that we have been empowered to do, to pull out the bitterness, and to walk in forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, it is with grateful hearts that we acknowledge that you have done the work. It is with humble hearts that we thank you for how you see the ways we have been hurt how you see all the sides of our story. And God, I ask for every heart here, every relationship here, that your compassion and generous spirit would reach in, that you would empower us, even in small ways, to choose forgiveness. And God, as we do, that we would better know what it is to live in the freedom that you offer us. God, I pray for those who have been holding tightly to resentment or a grudge for a long time, 
that you today in this moment would begin to unlock that prison for them. I pray, God, that you would dig into our hearts, that you would let us see, that you would let us align with who you are. And in that, God, that we would have the strength to walk toward you. In Jesus' name, amen.